This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi, and welcome to Militantly Mix, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mix Girl Maine. And today I'm going to try not to go on too long for this intro because I do have quite a long interview coming ahead. Um, in fact, I'm splitting this one into two parts, two episodes, because we just towards the end of our one hour that I normally do a recording with my guest, we were starting to get into some new heavy race stuff and we wanted to keep going. Um, but I know people's attention spans for a two hour podcast is probably not very strong and most of you are probably listening to this on your commute and hopefully you don't have two hour long commutes so um i'm gonna go ahead and split this up because i do want you to get a full picture of the discussion that we had because it was a pretty good one she introduces me to aspects of mixed representation and mixed understanding in canada that i hadn't heard before so i am really happy to share that with y'all today um so i won't let it linger too much there is a concept that she discussed we talk a lot about otherness which is a big part of this show obviously. Um, but she has different layers of otherness because not only is she Canadian and mixed race, but her both of her parents are immigrants. Uh, she is of Haitian and French descent. And um, she also lived here in the States for a period of time. So she has an experience of, of being an immigrant in a country. Um, you know, we talk about being the only brown kid in a white school or not the only brown kid, but the only foreigner maybe in a, in a black school or Latin Latin school. Uh, and then she introduces me to this concept that they have in Canada called the mixed solid, which is in opposition to the United States version of that, which is the melting pot, where we have the big lie that we all melt and get along and everybody, you know, fa la 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 the races will eventually all get along because we're a big melting pot. Whereas in Canada, they have a mixed solid, which allows you to be who you are and be proud of your ethnic heritage, proud of your cultural upbringing, but you're still Canadian. And so they're not viewing you as an African-American or Asian-American like we do here. You're just a Canadian who happens to also be fill in the blank. And I've never heard this quite described the way she explained it before, so I really liked it and I'm happy to introduce that to y'all as well. So yeah, let's keep this short. Two minutes was pretty good. I won't go into my normal spiel about Patreon and all that kind of stuff. You already know we're a fan-sponsored show and you know that you can go to Patreon or PayPal to sponsor us and follow us on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Militantly Mix. And if you want to hit us up on email, you can go to Charmaine at MilitantlyMix.com S and Sam, H-A-R M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E at MilitantlyMix.com Let us know if you want to come on the show and I will get back to you on that. Or you can drop us a voicemail 323-545-6001 you can tell us how you're feeling about the show you can give us topics or ideas if you want to come on the show and you want to share a little bit of your story you can do that as well or you can drop us a little radio interstitial like hey my name is and i listen to militantly mixed that's fun too uh so yeah (laughs) i feel like i was talking like an auctioneer hella fast um but i don't want just to linger too long because i do have about an hour and seven minute interview coming towards you um in addition to that other hour after that so without further ado Let's get on to this next episode of Militantly Mixed with my guest, Marilyn from Ottawa.
All right. So let's get into it. Tell us about yourself and a little bit about your, your background and then we'll start talking. All right. Well, um, hi. Uh, I was born uh, in Ottawa, uh, Ontario, the capital city of Canada. Um, my mother is uh, from Haiti. She was born in Haiti, came to Canada uh, a couple years before I was born. My father is um, from France, born and raised in uh, Paris, but um, his mother was from Algeria. So he's half Algerian, half French, and my mother's Haitian. So I am, I guess, mixed black and white and sort of a little bit of, I guess, like Arab a little. Um, so I was born in Ottawa. Um, and it is a very pretty multicultural city here. Uh, there's a lot of uh, kinds of people um, here. It is it is a smaller city, though. It is a government city. So there's not um, there's about a million people here. But um, yeah, so I grew up um, growing up as a kid. I remember my mom saying, you know, I probably asked her like why I look different. I, I distinctly remember her saying, well, I'm chocolate. That is milk and you're milk chocolate. That's that's what you are. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I was like, OK, I guess that's what I am. But um, yeah. And when I went to school, because um, both my parents are French speaking, I started uh, going to school in French, uh, like a French school. And I was for a long time, I was probably one of the only kids of color in my school and I distinctly remember um, maybe being in kindergarten or something and looking at myself and um, thinking I wish I were you know paler like the other kids I wish I had like white skin like my dad or you know stuff like that and um, yeah so I, I remember being a little kid maybe four or five six years old wanting to look like the other kids that I went to school with and um being, uh, I don't know if it was ashamed, but just like not really liking the the Haitian side of who I am because, you know, there weren't a lot of other kids who looked like me in um, my school. I, I don't know. I think it, it is probably different now because I have noticed that um, the city is way more multicultural than it used to be. So mm-hmm. um, like walking down the street, you see all kinds of people, especially like downtown. But um, yeah, so but growing up, that's that's what it felt like. And even though I did want I did, you know, wish that I looked like the other like white kids in my school, the Haitian side is the side that was most present in my life. Um, mm. My mom is Haitian. You know, she um, she came here from Haiti and my grandma came here a few years, a few years after I was born. So we and there there is a, a small Haitian community within uh, Ottawa. There's a bigger one in, in Montreal as well. So there are a lot of Haitian people here. So um, we attended a lot of Haitian events. Um, my mom signed me up for a lot of like she signed me up for like different things because I sing. So uh, she would, you know, make me perform at these like at these like Haitian events that, you know, the community community was throwing. I remember for a bit when I was maybe eight or nine years old, I took part in like a radio show, like a community um, radio show that this like Haitian association, I suppose, uh, put on every Sunday. So I'd go and, you know, I'd read poems in Creole or, you know, talk about certain things. Um, I was a kid, so it was scripted. So I, you know, I was made (laughs) to do all this stuff. But um, yeah, so the Haitian side was always the most present, I guess, in my life. So like at that, that young side, when you, I think all of us deal with this when we're when we're mixed um if we're in a space where everybody doesn't quite look like us that we wish we looked like them mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most yeah. part did you feel the tension or did i guess those are your early stages of code switching where you are haitian at home and then you you try to make yourself as white as possible when you were in school um i think i think 
when I was in school, I tried to make myself as white as possible. But when I was at home, um, I still sort of, uh, I, you know, like I was embarrassed of my accent whenever I tried to speak Creole. Mm. So, um, I mean, I, I was a little kid, so I perceived like the, like the, the laughing that adults around me would, you know, they would laugh at like me attempting to speak Creole. And I think maybe they were just laughing cause it's, you know, it's kind of cute, cute, a little kid. Yeah. yeah. But I perceived it as, Oh, I'm not doing it good enough. So I never really, um, to this day, I don't really, I'm not really comfortable speaking it. Uh, cause I'm just not used to it, but you know, that's, that, that's a big thing. I can read it and I can say it, but in conversation, it takes me like a while to, to put my words together and I don't like my accent, but, um, yeah, so I did feel always a little, a little bit just on the outside, just a little bit, but you know, because my mom did put me, um, in all these things and I took part in a lot of like Haitian community events, uh, and there were a lot of just Haitian people in my life and, uh, Haitian food on my table. So I, I it was really the side I really associated myself with, um, culturally. Mm. Um, as for the, my dad's side, the French side, um, I did, I did really, I feel like I, when I was younger, I did really want to be French. You know, I would, I would make an effort to watch, you know, like French TV shows, like from France and make an effort to, you know, listen to music from there and, you know, try to, I don't know, just try to, you know, put myself within that, within that culture, because I didn't have really a lot of, I didn't really have any like French people around me. I mean, there are French Canadians here, but my dad, you know, he's not French Canadian. So it's sort of, it's sort of different. It's not the same, but I wanted to be closer to my dad. And I wanted to feel like I was also a part of what he is, even though it was something that I felt was a bit, um, distant because I, I didn't really ever go to France until I was an adult. Mm. Um, and my dad's family wasn't near us. Um, I'm actually kind of marveling. And I know you mentioned this when we talked the first time, but you said that, uh, you had, you had basically been in French school for most of your young childhood and then mm-hmm. do a flip into English or was it Canadian public school? Is, is that what it was? So that, so that you could be bilingual? Well, what happened was my mom, uh, got a job in the States. Um, she's a nurse. Um, and I think they were recruiting a lot of nurses from Canada to come down into the U S I'm not sure why, but I do remember a lot of my friends and how my friends, sorry, my mom's friends, um, were also nurses from Canada. Um, so we, we came down to the States cause she got a work visa and we lived there for a couple of years. And that was really the first time that I went to school in English. Um, and I was 12 years old. So this was grade seven and grade eight, seventh grade, um, is when I started really going to school in English. And I do remember being really, um, it was very different for me um, yeah. uh, because really this was the first time that I went to a school where there were so many people of color, like in my, in my classroom that I first had, the first school I attended when I went there was a school, um, like a public school in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And in my classroom there, um, first of all, uh, there were a lot of students in one classroom, which was, um, yeah, we kind we of overwhelming. Our <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were maybe like 30 kids and out of all those kids, only one kid was white. The rest were Latino or Latinx and black. So that was oh, wow. the first time I'd ever, I didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I like this was the I I didn't know what to expect. I'd never heard of Connecticut before. I just knew it was near New York. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was it was very different, and it was the first time I had to attend school in English. Now, um, because I did, you know, both my parents are francophone. I went to school in French for that first part of my life. I did speak English. Ottawa uh, is a bilingual city, um, but mostly English. I'd say, uh, you know, English is you know very prevalent uh, in North America, and French is sort of sort of like a just like a little minority here. But I 
I had been exposed to English, but I didn't speak it fluently. Like I could, you know, I could understand what people were saying to me and I didn't have an accent. I mean, I guess like not like a French accent, like I guess like a yeah, Canadian that's one. The part that's surprising to me is that you don't seem to have any distinguishable French sounding accent or even like the stereotypical Canadian accent that we hear down here. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when, we, when we put a Canadian in quotation fingers in our TV shows and stuff, yeah. like Canadian accent that everybody pulls. And I don't detect that at all. Like I wouldn't be able to say for sure you weren't from the States or from Canada. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I see that stuff I on TV, I laugh because I don't really know anyone who says, you know, oot and a boot. Um, but <laughs> I guess that's, that's, that's the thing you guys believe. We love it. Yeah. We love <laughs> to think that that's what Canadians sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't encountered that here. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I because I had been exposed to English like my whole life, it just wasn't something that, you know, I spoke with at home with my family or at school or anything like that. So I didn't have an accent when I was in the States, but there were some things I didn't understand. So I'd ask with like a non accented English, what does a binder mean? mean? You know, because the teacher would be like, you need to get a binder. I'd say, well, what's a binder? I don't know what that is. Because, uh. um, you know, just like little terms for, for things like everyday vocabulary that I just, you know, had never been exposed to. But so I remember the kids probably thinking I was really dumb because <laughs> I didn't know certain words. And um, it was very... Uh, it was, it was sort of a difficult time in my life only because it was frustrating to know, like, I'm not stupid. I just don't know all the words in this language. Right. I don't, you know, like, but anyways, it got, it, it got better. And then my mom did switch schools. She put me in a, in a Catholic school. Um, uh, cause I mean, in, in here I'd been in Catholic school all throughout my life. Um, cause it's not, you don't have to pay for Catholic school here in mm. uh, Canada. You know, it's, uh, it's like sort of public, but I think you have to be Christian or something to attend. Right. I don't, I don't, not sure how it works, but it's not, you know, it's not something you have to pay for. But in the States, um, after a few months at that first school, I had a really hard time. And also I do remember because my name, um, my name is like French sounding initially. Um, but when I would introduce myself, you know, um, with my name, people, the, the R in French is like sort of like in the back, the back of the throat is where you make that sound. Right. So people would like think I was Arabic and I had this one kid who called me a terrorist. And then, you know, I told I told on him and I think he got in trouble for that. But um, mm. well, yeah. Okay. Do you mind me asking what year approximately that was? Because depending on when it was in America, there, like I could see why that would have mm-hmm. come up. Yeah, I was 12. So this was 2000 and. Uh, I don't math good. Sorry, 2004? 2004? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's for us, that's post 9-11. And that was the prime time where people were very anti, making the mistakes of anti-terrorism equaling anti-Arabic and anti-Muslim. And so mm-hmm. the it was filtering down to the children as well. And that's yeah. why they were being crazy yeah. like that. Um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty insane. Yeah, but you know, um, I, he was just joking, but I did, you know, I... <laughs> I did tell on him, but you know, whatever. Uh, that was a long time ago, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, that was in the States. And then my English obviously got loads better from living there. And I've, I, um, it was, it was a different experience, especially the whole, uh, that, f- that first few months where I was in public school, I'd never been exposed to that many people of color in one classroom before. So yeah, like I said, only the, that one kid was white, everyone else was black. So for the first time, I didn't feel like I stood out in a classroom full of kids. I didn't feel like, I remember even like being a kid and walking into a classroom and then looking around like, oh, I'm the only like brown person here. Yeah. Um, or, oh, oh, look, another one. Okay. So I'm not alone here, you know, or, you know, just stuff like that. But this was the first time that, that 
that that wasn't, you know, like I didn't feel like I was sticking out. So like visually you didn't feel that you were sticking out, but did you feel that you were sticking out because of the cultural barrier or for the most part, were you able to kind of slide through except for when you didn't know like an American English word? Um, Well, this, this, this was visually, I suppose. I feel like it didn't stick out visually, but um, I guess I was maybe a weird kid or maybe, you know, kids were kind of mean, especially around that age. I felt like anytime I did something, they would, because they already knew that or they already thought I was dumb because my English wasn't um, very good Mm. at the time because they already thought I was like dumb. They also would like point out anything that I did and like try to like make fun of me for it. And it was Mm. just like so frustrating. I remember this one time, this was maybe like a few weeks in, I'd already, you know, they already had, it was already established. I didn't know what binder meant. I I didn't know how to say printer. Like I was, I was the dumb kid who didn't know these basic words. Um, But I remember, you know, putting like, um, what's that stuff called? Whiteout, you know, like whiteout. Is that, is that an American term? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whiteout on my nails one day in class because I was bored. And then this kid just started making fun of me for it. Like, what is she doing? What is she putting on her nails? Oh man. Every girl did that once. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the age that you do stuff like that. Exactly. That's, that's what I was thinking. But, and then this other kid was like, it's not that weird, dude, leave her alone. So I was like, okay, so he's just picking on me because he feels like I'm an easy target at this point. Right. But it was just like all, any little thing that I would do would, you know, get me like made fun of. But I remember uh, this one like vindicating moment in, um, in grades in, in that, at that time at that school when there was like a, like a, the teacher separated us into different groups and there was like a competition, like, you know, she'd ask questions and the group to answer the fastest would get points, would win like a pizza party kind of thing. And I was the one answering all the questions. Mm. Um, not because I'm smarter than everybody else, but just cause I guess the cur- curriculum was kind of different maybe, right. or maybe, I don't know, resources to American public schools are just like not the best. Maybe, right. I don't know, but we do there were like a lot of things standard that, of education here compared to other places. Yeah. So um, which is unfortunate, but, um, just a lot of stuff that, you know, we had been learning that semester. I was like, Oh, I did this two years ago, or oh, I've done this before kind of thing. So I was answering all these questions. My group was so happy. They're like, Oh, you are smart. I was like, yeah, I am smart. What do you mean? Of course I'm smart. Um, so yeah, that one vindicating moment in, uh, in, uh, grade seven. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that was really when English really, um, I really sort of became like an Anglophone. Hmm. Um, I'd say like now English is really my, the primary language I use. It's what I use at work. It's what, you know, I use like on a day-to-day basis. I still speak French with uh, my family, uh, but my, my younger siblings, because they were younger than me when we went to America, their French is not really um, on know. like a fluent sort of because they were younger than me. Like both my siblings learned how to read in English. So their French never sort of like developed, developed past that, I guess that four or five-year-old, hmm. five, five, years that they had exposure and then it was just like English for them after that and they they respond to my parents in English um but yeah because I was a bit older I was I was 12 when we came down so nice. I'd have yeah but um but now English is the primary language I use and when I went came back to Canada after um my mom's visa expired we came back here and uh I kept my mom kept us in the English system because she just wanted us to be you know fully bilingual um so uh yeah so I, I remember again coming back here um the classrooms here were you know there was a bit more diversity than when I was a little kid but it was still like I I remember like being like oh the only like sort of brown person or oh I'm brown here's another like Lebanese kid and then that's pretty much it uh, in the classroom but I also did feel because like I never because my dad he is white but 
he is French and not French Canadian, French from elsewhere, so from France. So I never felt like I could co- like connect with any of the like can like white Canadian people that I okay. that I had around me. Um, you know, this was also the time where kids are really like into music and start to like you know have like tastes where like they're like really into like I don't know they they sort of like pretend to be really like purists about music and like oh I just listened to the Beatles or no I just listened to this and you know the, these would be bands I wasn't familiar with. They'd be like, how have you not heard of ACDC? My dad plays it all the time. I'm like, well, you know, my dad's my dad's not you know anglophone. He doesn't listen to that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I always felt like there was there was no one around me that I could feel like I belonged with because on either side, both both of my parents' side, even though my dad is sort of like visually sort of like white passing, he's still an other. He is still different. When he walks around, people probably don't think anything. But when he opens his mouth, you can tell he's not from here. He doesn't speak with a Canadian accent or a French Canadian accent or anything like that. So um, and he's, you know, different culturally. Um, But yeah. Uh, what is that like um, in Canada? Because I, I know here, like, I've worked from time to time with somebody that was French-Canadian. I, I actually, two different positions. I've, I've had a co-worker that was French-Canadian. And naturally, because Americans aren't really exposed to a lot of, you know, people from around... Well, they are, and yet they're completely ignorant of how people are from around the world. They can't see past a person who speaks French as not, as not being French. Mm-hmm. And so this guy was always constantly having to say, like, no, I... I, I don't know that I'm not French. I'm French Canadian, you know, and and then mm-hmm. try to tell the difference, you know, explain the difference. But did your was your dad treated a certain kind of odd way in Canada because he was French versus French Canadian? Um, yeah, for sure. I'd say for sure he he was. I I remember he told me stories about when he first came here. Um, so I don't. I I, I guess it's not really a thing that people do. I don't eat mustard, but he said in France, you know, when you order French fries, you get mustard with it on the side or or mayonnaise or something. So mm-hmm. He told me the story about the first time he came here. He got he got off at the off the plane at Pearson Airport in Toronto. He ordered some fries somewhere and asked for mustard on the side. And the waitress was like, "That's really weird. Why would you eat it like that?" And he and he, I guess he remembers that story because mm. you know because he was like, "Well, everyone does it where I'm from, you know, or like right. it's it's not a weird thing where I'm from." But so fresh off the plane, he's instantly othered. And, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of his first exposure. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, and also, I mean, he doesn't really have he doesn't really sound. Canadian when he speaks, although his French accent has really like sort of, I'm not going to say disappeared, but it's not as present, I guess, because uh, he's right. been here a really long time. So when he's in France, you know, family or family tells him that he sounds Canadian now, but no Canadian is going to say he sounds Canadian here, you know, but we have I guess that in my just... family too. My, my cousins from England who moved to Australia, they, Australians think they sound like Brits and to, mm-hmm. me, to me, they just sound like Australians. So I can't, I can't distinguish the subtleties yeah. between that. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that does, uh, that does happen, but, uh, yeah. So I remember him telling me the story and also he, uh, you know, he's different, um, culturally because French Canadians and French people from France are really different. It's not the same at all. Um, even like the way they talk is different. The slang is different. I've met people from France and I mean, I mean, my dad is from France, but I don't, you know, I don't really talk to a lot of French, French people when I'm exposed to French, it's French people who are from here, even though it's still kind of different to me because it's not what's been around like my family. Um, but, you know, I, I run into like French people from France and, you know, sometimes they're kind of, they say things and it's just like 
kind of weird like the the slang they use is different um and it's not you know it's just very different um yeah yeah so yeah so even though like I have met French people from France you know they're still kind of foreign to me because my dad you know I wasn't raised in France and my dad's been out of France for a really long time right and then French Canadians are just you know my dad's not French Canadian you know I grew up surrounded by you know like sort of like the French Canadian culture but it's still foreign to me because it's not anything that my family was about um so yeah i'm just like you know it's just like everything's different <laughs> even things that are part of me are different yeah um and that is kind of the thing that is about us is how there's no space in which we're never not the different one yeah you know, it, whether yeah. whether we are culturally immersed in one side more than the other or not we still kind of stand out even as mm-hmm. we as we can kind of you know code switch and adapt to different situations so mm-hmm. yeah so obviously that's something we get into a lot on the show in your case you know, you, you talked about being immersed in, in patient culture at home and, and in your experiences and what your mother exposed you to and not as much in the French side or whatever. So you grow up feeling sort of othered in school and then at home you're Haitian, but you, you're a little bit uncomfortable with Creole, which I think like I have that experience too with the Japanese. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable speaking Japanese in front of Japanese people. My Japanese is poor anyway. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I mimic my Japanese grandmother's accent and mm-hmm. I didn't realize until I was it was pointed out to me that the accent she uses is the accent of an older woman, like an old yeah. lady. So like uh-huh. if I do attempt it in front of somebody, they'll say, why do you speak like an old lady? Mm-hmm. Well, the only Japanese I'm exposed to is my old lady grandma. So that's, mm-hmm. why, yeah. that's why I sound like an old lady. So when this is kind of happening for you, your, your version of that too, being immersed in Haitian culture, but, you know, quote unquote, not being Haitian enough and not being French enough. How, how did you feel? How did you start to get into the place where you could walk around as a mixed person and just be a mixed person if, if you're even there yet <laughs> if I mean, yeah. um well well as I grew older um well as I like for me it was really in university that I really started to really like embrace my Haitian side I mean I had never had an issue with my Haitian side and I was always around it in in like activities that had to do with being Haitian and Haitian people and Haitian food and whatnot but because so many of the kids around me my peers there weren't that many kids of color around me you know I it wasn't really something that I um um that I you know like I was proud of I guess um and you know I'd make jokes you know like or like things that my mother would do that I found I thought were embarrassing but it was just really sort of like her Haitianness coming out and it would make me uncomfortable because none of the other kids had to deal with that kind of stuff um you know my mom was always really overprotective but you know that comes with you know her coming from a country where things are really different and right. um, um so whenever you know my mom you know when my mom would be around uh, my friends and she uh had like her accent because she doesn't speak English very well it's very accented it would always embarrass me and uh you know I never told people that I wasn't Haitian but it wasn't really something that I um, would, you know, would embrace or anything like that. But it was really in university that I started to really like that part of myself because for the first time, uh, you know, with the different like groups on campus and whatnot, for the first time I was, you know, with a bunch of people and I wasn't the only brown person. I was actually the lightest person in the room sometimes, not the darkest person in the room anymore. So, um, so it felt nice not to be, not to be, you know, the only like person of color, although I was the mixed one, the light skinned one, it mm-hmm. was better than being the, the non 
white one in a white right. room kind of thing. I, um, I agree with that. There is something to that because I officially or, you know, percentage wise, I would be half white, but I don't know that side, either side of my white side of the family. So mm-hmm. when I'm around white people, I always feel uncomfortable, even when they're nice white people. Mm-hmm. But when I'm with anybody brown and it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if they're black like I am or Japanese or or whatever, Latin, Philippine, like they could be any other brown. And mm-hmm. I feel way more comfortable <laughs> yeah. in that scenario, even though even if we're even if I'm still the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess that's a pretty universal like feeling for for, for mixed people just feeling like more comfortable with, you know, the, the, the brown side. Cause, yeah. um, I said this last time, but there's, you know, there's no such thing as a dark skinned white person, but there is right. such a thing as like a light skinned black person, you know? So, cause black people, thanks to, especially here in like the Americas, thanks to colonialism and, uh, slavery and all that stuff, there's like all shades, all shades of black people. So, right. um, but yeah, that, that was the first time that I really felt like good about my blackness. Um, not that I felt bad about it before, but I felt like I, I did try to do things to sort of fit in with white people. Right. I remember I remember making really awful jokes in high school when, you know, I wasn't super young, you know, I was 16, 17 years old, but I was making awful racist comments and jokes with friends because I thought it was funny. And I thought, you know, I, I don't want to be that one brown person who gets offended at right. racist stuff. So let me just be the one who makes the racist jokes kind of thing. You know, just I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. It's a, no, it's an armor. It's a defense mechanism. That's that that comes up so often when I talk to people for the show, uh, you know, uh, not mm-hmm. not to get like all showy or whatever, but in, in all these conversations, at some point, somebody says if they were immersed around white people, it was like, you know, I, I, I had to get there first. That way yeah. I could just survive. You know, I could just be there without everybody always being like, oh, here's the brown one going to get upset again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we do it as um, as armor. In my case, it's, it's the reverse because I was raised mostly around black people and it's it's okay for us to make fun of white people. <laughs> it never becomes a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did do, I did do that. And like now thinking back now that I'm, you know, quote unquote woke <laughs> about a lot of stuff, you know, I'm just like, I cringe a lot at, at the stuff I used to say, right. the stuff I used to believe, but you know, you live, you learn, you grow. So, um, also, you're a child trying to figure out your identity, or even if even if you're like a young adult, when you've lived in this situation of always being an other, mm-hmm. you know, always being different, even when you're around someone that's even remotely similar to you, like, you know, if it was, if you were around Haitian people, or if you were around French people or something like that, like, you can't help that you're trained by this otherness and this constant, mm-hmm. you know, thing. So I, I know a lot of us, t- you know, feel bad later on, or, or, you know, we look back and we're just like, Oh, I can't believe I did that. But like, what in your life would have prevented you from being that into doing mm-hmm. it? You know, like yeah. we had no choice. We were we were always weird, and until we could really get to the place where we just embrace our weirdness, you know, and just be like, Nah, you guys are weird. I'm this. Like this is me. You know, until yeah. we can get there, we we're gonna make those kinds of mistakes. We can't help it. We're human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah. Uh, so um, in university is when I really sort of like really like immersed myself in the you know my Haitian side and there were the the, the black kids and the no, not kids we were like young adults but the black people I surrounded myself with were like from all over there were a lot of international students from Nigeria or Ghana and a lot of like Jamaican mm-hmm. people so a lot of my friends were from those places um, and a lot of them were like kids of uh, you know people from those places so they were like me you know from Ottawa brown black but had grown up around like white people their whole life and for the first time 
time, this was, you know, just like a space where I wasn't, you know, um, an other or where they weren't others. So it was nice. You know, we'd laugh about stuff sometimes about like just like our experiences, like being at a friend's house uh, in high school and they feed you chicken and it tastes like nothing. And it's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know. They don't they don't flavor their chicken, but it's nice to, you know, be around people who know how to cook food kind of thing. Um, it's so fun- I'm sorry. It is so funny how universal some of this stuff is. Like, <laughs> like wherever we go and, you know, you don't you don't want to necessarily come off like the show ends up bashing white people. But it's the, everybody says the same stuff. It's like white people don't season their food. There's no flavor in even like the culture. Yeah. So, so when we get to be around other brown people, we're just like, like, just throw all the seasoning into not yeah. just our food, but like our life and our conversation our life, and, yeah, our music yeah. and our dance. Yeah. And it's and it's like so funny because when I was younger, I was scared of spice, you know, like spicy things, like hot things. Mm. But, you know, as I grew older, I guess I, I didn't care as much. But now um, I get so frustrated because whenever I'm out and I have food like in food that's like, you know, for like the general public, you know, like in a restaurant or right. like in a, in, you know, a fast food place. And I ask, yeah, can I get hot sauce? And it tastes like nothing. And I'm just like, ugh, why does everything have to cater to like the, the white palate? Like, it's just it doesn't taste like anything. What do you mean? This is the hot sauce, the right. hottest sauce that's available. But um, yeah, so that's carry, also like. Do you carry your own with you? I don't. I haven't gone to that point yet um, because I've slowly just started incorporating spice into my life but no I'm, I don't do that so I, I actually have a keychain that I've had for years that has my own hot sauce so for a period of time it was like it's a sriracha keychain but so for a period of time it's sriracha but now it's this habanero sauce that I mm-hmm. that a friend of mine brought me from um, uh, Belize <laughs> so, so uh, it's funny because I've, I carried this thing around and I just thought this was just something that I did and I didn't I don't know how I missed this in my culture but it actually is fairly common for black Americans to do mm-hmm. and I didn't yeah. I missed it I didn't know it was something I naturally did and then yeah. Beyonce put it in a song and, yeah. and I was like hey I do that too and then <laughs> Hillary Clinton tried to connect to the black voters by saying she carries hot sauce, sauce in her bag and yeah. it blew up into a whole big thing but I am always curious like because it was this weird thing that I naturally ended up doing but also mm-hmm. happened to be a part of the culture that I've missed I wonder mm-hmm. how many things are like that that all of us yeah you know mixed kids have like what yeah what Haitian thing do you do that you don't even realize you do that is kind of a cultural thing yeah I mean I do a lot of uh, it's not like food related but I do a lot of like kissing my teeth Um, I don't know if that's a thing that black (laughs) Americans do but whenever like I'm annoyed or I'm pissed off or someone like you know does something that bothers me I just like kiss my teeth and a lot of like African people do that too and you know that's always something that you know I can you know yeah I remember like being like embarrassed sometimes when my mom would like kiss her teeth and this is I was a little kid and we were places and she'd get annoyed at like some service some service uh, person, you know, not, you know, giving her a discount on something or, you know, just getting angry about something mm-hmm. and she'd kiss her teeth and I'd be like, oh, mom. <laughs> but, you know, now I just like kiss my teeth all the time and I'm around people who kiss their teeth all the time at just like all this nonsense that goes around, goes on around us. Um, <laughs> Um, and I also remember being so, so annoyed whenever we were places and my mom would ask, is there a discount? Can you give it to me at a better price? That would embarrass me so much. Um, but now it's all I do. I always look for a deal, um, <laughs> um, you know, but, um, and I guess, I, I, I guess that's probably really universal in the whole, like, 
immigrant like uh, experience, you know, come from a place where, you know, money is like not like doesn't grow on trees and, you know, money like my, you know, my grandma was poor in Haiti, you know, and uh, now my mom, she makes good money, but she's like the first person in her family to make this much money. And she sends right. a lot of money back home to her family back home. So, you know, whenever she can get a deal, she'll she'll try and get it. But yeah, uh, yeah so no, I do think that is kind of a universal immigrant experience. It's kind of a win, too, right? Because yeah. there's like a badge of honor where you can turn around and be like, I got this, which is normally <laughs> this amount but I actually got it for $25 less or whatever you feel yeah. you feel like good about it um, and that is something I think that like the main culture in our in Canada and the U.S kind of don't have and so it does stand mm-hmm. out yeah. when we do stuff like that. It is weird the things that we find that we're embarrassed as as children that we end up embracing as adults. Um, mm-hmm. you, I don't know what that is. Like is that just sort of programming like we can't help but get that way eventually or if it is finally flipping that switch where we're just ready to embrace whatever it is Yeah, about our culture. I wonder what that is. Yeah I, yeah, I, I don't know what it is but I think you know everyone like gets embarrassed by their parents at one right. point in, while growing up but I think it's really when, when you are you feel like you're different you don't want your parents to like add to that it's like can't you just be like all the other moms or can't you be like the other dads because I I also remember being embarrassed about my dad because I mean he is like white passing and like French but you know he the reason he even like met my mom is because he's really into um Latin American music Afro-Caribbean music and music from Africa he's just a big fan of that kind of music um so yeah I never grew up listening to any like ACDC or I don't don't know Led Zeppelin or any of that stuff but I grew up listening to a lot of like Celia Cruz and um you know all these like Spanish like Cuban like bands and stuff and that's how you know he was even like in a circle around full of Haitian folk because he was just listening to that kind of music so whenever I um I I didn't like having friends over because my dad would always be playing his music really loud and I'd be like ugh why can't he just listen to the stuff that everyone else listens to you know but you're like just be white dad (laughs) just be white (laughs) that's funny just act white so oh yeah so that is actually something that you mentioned before when we spoke about the uh, we talk about it a bunch on the show like the audacity of whiteness in which they can just ask us questions and feel completely entitled to ask those types of questions. Um, yeah. And wasn't there something about people asking you if your dad had a black fetish? Yeah, you know, like, you know, I've had, you know, this was probably like in high school or something. Oh, you know, does your dad have a fetish? You know, did he have jungle fever? Ha 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 ha. It's like, nah, like, nah, that's not like an appropriate question to ask. Right. It's like, it's a weird thing to ask. And like, also like, I don't think my dad is a racist. Like, I don't think he fetishizes my mom or anything like that. He's from what he's told me, what he little he's told me about his past, he's dated all kinds of people. And, you know, it just happens that he really likes music, you know, that comes from like black people. So uh, right. he was, you know, exposed to a lot of people thanks to thanks to his love, uh, thanks to his love of music. So that's how they met. But, you know, people just ask you like weird, weird questions or make weird comments. And this was especially when I was like in school here uh, in Canada, where, you know, although Ottawa is pretty diverse there, you know, the schools I went to, my mom sent me to Catholic school, the schools I went to, there were just a lot of white kids mm-hmm. um and you know they make comments like that or or um even like with the first time I straightened my hair I remember and growing up I just always wanted to straighten my hair like ugh, I always wanted to have straight hair I hated that my hair was curly <laughs> hated that you know I always had to wear braids and um Oh my gosh. I remember this one time. Okay. Um, it just came back to me this moment. So I was maybe nine years old and we went outside for recess and it started raining and I was like, Oh, it feels so good. I, and I was making a joke. I was trying to make a joke with my friends and I was like, Oh, this feels so good. And I, you know, shaking like my, my braids, uh, in, in the rain, I haven't washed my hair all week. And 
my friend was like, ew, that's disgusting. What do you mean? You don't wash your hair every day? And at that point, it registered to me, it registered to me like, oh, these people wash their hair every day. Oh, okay. Um, and that was something I was embarrassed about. So mm. when I started doing my own hair, I just like started washing it all the time. And then, oh, you know, no. it was always dry. It's still recovering now. Like my hair used to be so long and healthy, but you know, yeah. it was a dry mess for a bit because I wasn't taking care of it the way I was supposed to because I right. thought I had to do with, like all these white kids. But you know, <laughs> you live and you learn. <laughs> Um, Again, yeah. I mean, that's the otherness that happens is because we are taught that there's a white standard that, mm-hmm. you know, we end up trying to alter ourselves to blend in as much as possible. And and in the and in doing that, sometimes we damage things like leg- mm-hmm. le- legitimately damage something like damaging your hair or because yep. I did it, too. And, and but the opposite, I was getting perms all the time and I was, you know, trying to, to trying to make my hair look more mixed than it came mm-hmm. out. Like my brother has the curly hair and I have sort of half straight, half wavy, I guess, but it can fro in Mm -hmm. humidity. Um, You know, so you end up doing this damage, like actual damage or the emotional damage that comes along with like, because you didn't know this thing about the white standard, you've exposed Mm -hmm. something about yourself that Mm -hmm. ends up causing, you know, laughter for these kids because they don't know and they're assholes because their parents are assholes and have never exposed us to anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so... But yeah, I, I remember that. And after like a, a few years later, when I started doing my own hair, yeah, I just, anyways, I miss how long my hair used to be. Anyways, um, um, yeah, so in university, you know, this is when I really started hanging out with like black people. And it was the first time, it was also the first time that I felt seen as like a woman, um, you know, like, like a, like a sexual being, you know, like this was the first time, like I got attention from men or like guys, you know, because like, in high school, none of these white boys were paying any mind to me. Um, Um, you know, like I wasn't like a thing. I was just like a thing. I was just like there. Um, and everyone was like dating around me. I never dated in high school or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. for the first time in, in, um, in university, just hanging around black people, you know, from Africa, from the Caribbean, uh, or like, you know, second generation from all those places is when the the first time I really felt like seen. Um, cause for the first time, I guess when I reached like my early twenties or like 19, 20, 21 is when I really started feeling seen that way. Mm -hmm. But, um, so that's when I really started hanging out with black people more, but also also like the issue on the black side I guess from the Haitian side first of all um, I was I always felt that I wasn't Haitian enough I've gotten because I mean I don't I mean I'm lighter skinned obviously so but I mean there are like Haitian people of all shades but I guess I don't immediately register as Haitian because my maybe my features are really different but I've even had Haitian people like talk shit in front of me in Creole thinking maybe I didn't understand or that I was mm. from somewhere else um, and it's like but I at the time when that happened I couldn't say anything because I was at work and these were like customers talking talking about me in front of me but um yeah stuff like that or like whenever when when, like I said as as I got older I got more woke so whenever I would like talk to like a cousin about like something that really bothered me you know like some kind of injustice that was going on um I you know I'd you know and then I'd go into like my whole like my whole rant you know and oh as black people and she'd interrupt me and say oh so you think you're black now and it's like what what is that even necessary necessary when I'm like I don't I don't know it's just like you wouldn't have a black experience from white, you know, people. Yeah. Like, white people are still going to treat you as black, even if yeah. you're not Regardless. as dark as other black mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. So yeah, just stuff like that or um yeah, just just little things and also just in general, the whole like being black thing. Um, especially when it came to like dudes who the the for the first time dudes ever paid any attention to me. But I always had had like this feeling that, oh, I'm it's just because I'm light skinned and they don't actually like me because they make comments that I thought were totally inappropriate. Like, oh, I love that you wear like your hair natural because girls who wear weaves and wigs are fake. And that's you know, that's what my mom always taught me that girls who wear weaves are fake and it's like well mm. my my mom wears weave like what are you trying to say that you know my grandma wears a wig you know like my aunt wears weave like what are you trying to say like yeah it's just like not not cool or oh you know and I don't also know, just, why would it why is it a, even a thing like this is something i don't understand what, what is the obsession with what the why black people would wear wigs or why black people would wear weaves or something like that it could just be you like the way you look that way so who cares yeah you know yeah, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, because um, I mean, I, I do wear like my natural hair most of the time. Um, only recently did I really start doing like different things with my hair. And even now sometimes, because mm. uh, last month I had faux locks in my hair because I really like the way they look. And I mean, I'm not going to my I'm not going to lock my own hair because you can't go back, I think. So I, I don't want to do that. But I wanted to rock the look for a few weeks. So that's what I did. And even then I felt like uncomfortable. And people would be like, oh, I love this is like especially men like, oh, I love your hair. How long did it take you to grow it? And I and I'd feel uncomfortable saying like, oh, well, you know, but why am I feeling uncomfortable? You know, like, why do I feel like slightly ashamed about this? It's probably because it's so much for so much of my life. People have told me you have such beautiful hair. I love that you don't have to do this to your hair. But, you know, even though like I'm against that, I still like feel it. Like when people ask me about my hair, when it's not my hair. Right. But Um, also like, how the fuck would you ask a question? Like, how long did it take you to grow your hair? Like you can just hear these, these racist old stereotypes and the way people ask questions and whether or not they know that they're asking a crazy question like I don't care about that anymore I'm still gonna I'm still mad (laughs) like I don't want to give people the benefit of doubt about this stuff because like my I guess my thing is would you if you're a white person asking a black person that question would you ask a white person that question then don't ask that question you know like that's the kind of stuff that but I've never heard that's a shock I mean maybe I've heard it before but for some reason it really hit me in the gut to hear someone ask you that question like how how long did it take you to? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That yeah. made me mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe because I'm, you know, like I'm mixed, so people think like, oh, that it's her natural hair because mixed girls wear their hair. They don't wear like fake hair, like the darker skin mm. black people, you know. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's where that comes from. But so this was recent. Someone asked me this, you know. So, but I, and I still felt kind of weird about the question. So like, and you know, I like to think that like I don't care about that kind of stuff anymore. But it's so like deep, deep seated inside of you that like even though like now I know better, it's still like I still felt like a bit like embarrassed I guess mm-hmm. to admit that oh this isn't my hair but why why do I feel this way you know it's stupid but, but also I mean traditionally are people scattered from around the world and, and you know black people um the, these are the hairstyles so it mm-hmm. is like it can be it is your hair it can be your hair it doesn't you know you don't have to feel that you have to present one way you know a particular mm-hmm. way because you're mixed but yeah I mean we're programmed because we hear it so many times you know we're dis- franchise across the globe so we can't help that these types of things get in there and affect mm-hmm. us but in whatever efforts we can make to train ourselves to stop allowing those feelings to hit us you know I, I mean yeah. I don't know what the solution is I, I like I know for me when I started to you know 
obviously identity was a big deal for me. It still is, you know, I'm doing a podcast about it because it's one of those things that shifts. Like sometimes I'm Mm -hmm. super comfortable being mixed. Sometimes I wish I was darker skinned and and more obviously black because it would just make things a little bit easier for me given given my culture and who I associate with and things like that, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, there's all this kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes I'm really confident and sometimes I'm really not. And I think we all probably have have that thing. Uh, But I have spoken to people on the show who still haven't gotten there. You know, they're still Mm -hmm. not comfortable in their mixed skin. And um, and in those cases, you know, like, I don't know what what the solution is to train us to feel better about ourselves. But, you know, it is very freeing when you can just say, like, yeah, this is my hair. You have no you don't get to have, (laughs) you know, you can have an opinion about it, but you don't get to put your opinion on me. You know, things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, um, yeah, like if we could just be comfortable in, you know, being just our mixed ass selves like that would be yeah. <laughs> you know this beautiful yeah. thing that we could have yeah so and, and and then like you said you wished you were darker when i was a little kid i wished i were white but when i was older i really wished i was darker so that people would know that i was black i was just really like over being ambiguous looking right and um i just wanted it to be clear that i'm black you know i feel black i you know i'm around like my family like when i'm around like family and stuff for the most part we're like all black apart from like my dad and then my brother my sister and I were like mixed but otherwise it's just like always like black people that I'm around so I was just really wishing that I was dark skinned and I sometimes still feel that way and it's not to so that people realize what I am but it's because sometimes people assume things about me because I'm mixed they'll say things like I didn't expect you to be this nice or I thought oh I'm surprised you even texted me back it's like yeah (laughs) it's like this whole thing about like mixed mixed kids or like light-skinned girls are just like really stuck up and think they're better than everyone else who's darker skinned and it's like that's not that's not the case that's not always true like I don't don't know right no like that's something we've only touched about a little bit here and there but um it is is something that I think is pervasive in in the stereotypes of mixed women in particular I don't Mm -hmm. uh, actually this happened last night too um so my husband and I went to a comedy show that is called Chocolate Sundays here in Los Angeles it's it's every Sunday so it's a it's a big show and um the 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 host is this guy named Ron G he's he's like slightly darker than light skinned I guess is how I would say and he mm-hmm. he had made a joke which it was a hilarious joke but then also in the aftermath of it I, being mixed I'm thinking about you know what his joke meant but he, he says a thing about how he was introducing his fiance who is black to his his friends and he's like you know he says a joke something about you know when you introduce your girl to your boys and all of a sudden your boy gets all kind of R&B sexy he gets a little bit lighter skin and so he like he like throws this joke this like list of things about like what would make his 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 guy friend all of a sudden turn into this like light-skinned hot uh r&b singer to try to coax your girl's attention away and you know now he's got beef with his boy or whatever and during the in the moment we are busting up and you know i'm cracking up and i even note like he said all of a sudden he's lighter skin and i and i like laugh and repeat it you know to, to my husband in the moment and it is this funny thing it's like culturally we've decided that mixed people people or lighter skinned people are more attractive and so you know pops up in this joke and the whole room is cracking up but then in the car on the way home you know my mixed self is going you know eh, why <laughs> you know like why are we saying that the light skinned or the mixed race people are, are our hot people because that sets us up like we get a, we yeah. get into a lot of trouble for it I got it a ton yeah. because I wasn't traditionally light skinned black appearing you know mm-hmm. I look more Latin or 
or Asian, uh, ambiguous Asian, depending on what, you know, people's view of me is. And so mm-hmm. in school, the lighter skinned girls did not like me. The dark skinned yeah. girls didn't mind me at all. And the dark yeah. skinned guys and light skinned guys didn't matter. But the light skinned girls were the only people that really ever was hard on me. And it was, mm-hmm. and they would say, well, like you said, you think you're better than us. No, I don't think I'm better than you. I'm sitting there trying to be you, you know, like yeah, when you're a teenager, crazy. like you're sitting there trying to be what you idolize. And in my case, you know, black people were the ones that I idolized. It was the people I was around and the thing I wasn't enough of. So mm-hmm. I'm over here trying to be blacker and they're telling me I think I'm better than them because I'm lighter skin and I got the good hair. Well, I don't have what we refer to as the good hair in our community. I have mm-hmm. Asian hair. I don't have mixed black hair. So um, so it was all this stuff. And, you know, you, you get beat down by it throughout your life. And so to a degree that I would almost try to make myself look uglier, I still kind of do it where I try not, I, I don't always try, <laughs> yeah. you know, for lack of a better word, because I don't mm-hmm. want people to think that I think I look better or I am better than them because I'm mixed. And I hate that. But and I hear mm-hmm. it with every person that I talk to that has that um, where colorism is prevalent in our mm-hmm. cultures that we feel like the lighter skin the light skin burden i guess yeah of yeah of being better and also we're supposed to be mean like we're, yeah why <laughs> and stuck up and like why is that a thing um and and sometimes i even like make it a point now because i hear it's like this whole like this whole like colorist thing is so ingrained in people and i notice it especially when like black people talk to me especially like black women they'll say things like well um cause first of all the, in canada maybe it's a bit different but i i always get asked <laughs> what what's my what my background is and you know it's like a thing that people do like they do all, over, all over the board but not just like white people to color to people of color but uh, people of color to other people of color you know because um so I remember this in learning this in high school and I, I do agree that it does feel like that but you we talk about a lot or like the general like discourse I guess is that America is like a melting pot there's just all different kinds of people yeah, but then Canada the multicultural <laughs> that multiculturalism in Canada is a bit different we're not a melting pot we're a mixed salad so there's different people and they all bring in different things but no one is melting or losing their identity in 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 the the, in the country you know so there's a cucumber a a carrot a tomato and the lettuce they're all different but they're all a part of the whole and they keep they keep their personal their personal um aspects and characteristics but they make up the whole so people are are people here you know we're all canadian right but there's lebanese people there's somalis there's a big somali uh community in ottawa big lebanese community there's people from nigeria from ghana from jamaica from haiti you know like we're we all are from somewhere else so when so i don't i don't really because I, I remember hearing you talk about this in one of your episodes where you know white people would ask you like where are you from and i do that but it's not to other people I, it's like because everyone you know is from somewhere and we're all like interested in where we all come from and it's black people ask me that brown people ask me that white people ask me that you know it's just a, all people just, ask still here in the states but yeah what you're saying this mixed solid versus is a melting pot is something I've never heard before and and mm. I would I would love this. Like this would make a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. um, because there's something about like here in the States, at least, or, or at least in my experience, when a white person asks me where I'm from, I'm being exoticized and fetishized and othered. When a mm-hmm. person of color asks me, it, it always feels whether or not it is, because sometimes it probably is the exoticizing and fetishizing. Um, but when people of color ask me, it feels like they're trying to find out if we're family or not, you know, mm-hmm. like, because black yeah. people tend to have a natural sense 
sense of feeling like family wherever we go. Mm. Um, or at least it feel it, it seems like that in our culture. Um, I don't know if that's yeah. more of an American thing or not. But, you know, so then it's like, you know, if it, if it comes from a black person, it's also not like where you're from. It's like um, you're black, right? You know, so it's like it's telling me I already see you. I just yeah. need to, I just need to know how much of you am I seeing, basically. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yeah. feel although it is slightly uh, you, you're aware of you being an other in the moment because you don't look enough like that, that they had to ask. It's mm-hmm. the fact that they ask in a way that joins you to the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it happens to me, if Asians do it, it, it still it actually feels very similar to when white people do it, to be yeah. honest, because Asians and, and in particular, like in my in my case, Japanese, Japanese don't like to mix. So mm-hmm. when you try to walk around, like I wear a lot of things that have like a Japanese flag or something on it and they'll mm-hmm. be like, well, you know, why? Basically, at that point, they think I'm like an otaku, which is a, a white person, generally a white person that is obsessed with Asian culture, Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not that because I am Japanese. Uh, but I just like I just want to represent for the people or whatever. But I don't get permission to do that. So when mm-hmm. when Japanese people or other Asians, because it's kind of similar um, in that case, when they do it, it actually feels very othering, just like when white people do it. When Latinx people do it, though, it's the same kind of thing because Afro-Latinas are all over the place and I kind of look like an Afro-Latina a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, then it's like, well, are you Dominican? Are you Puerto Rican? Are you, you know, like mm-hmm. they want to know mm-hmm. what where I'm from in terms of like, are we the same or are we a different kind of Latinx? So I don't know if that's the same for you, but I like the idea of a mixed solid where we get to be who we are, but we also get to be American. We don't have that here. You have mm-hmm. like the hyphenated American is is not to celebrate your culture, but it's to categorize you so we know where you stand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, d- I definitely, I, I definitely feel like in America, it's like a know where you stand kind of thing. I remember, I remember when I lived in the States, um, this is when I was 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I had to like fill out a document. Um, so like, I don't know who this was. It was maybe like some kind of like program that came in to like talk to my class about something. I don't remember, but they all give us forms to fill out. And at the top, you know, I had to pick one and it was uh, African-American, Caucasian-American, Asian-American, uh, you know, Hispanic American, there was just like all these sections and I didn't know which one to fill out because first off, I'm not American, I'm Canadian. So I I went to the lady, I was like, I don't know how to fill this out. I'm not American. I'm not an American citizen. I, you know, I don't know how to fill this out. She said, well, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Canada, but my mom is Haitian. My dad's French. She said, oh, Canada? Oh, just put Caucasian American. So I filled that in. I didn't know what Caucasian was at the time, right? Because my English wasn't super good. I didn't know what Caucasian meant, but I just right. I just put that. But Canada, I guess, immediately means Caucasian. I just, and I was like, I guess I can put that, but I don't know what Caucasian is. And I don't, yeah. I'm not an American, so I don't. Um, and it just felt like it was just like, just having to fill it out to tell them what I was. But I was like, what's, I, I'm not any, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Um, now they had... allow you to check more boxes, but it's a still the same kind of thing. It's such a flawed section because it it doesn't distinguish. Like if you're African American, you can be Algerian, Moroccan. You mm-hmm. can be, you know, from Ghana. You could be from the Ivory Coast. You could be from South Africa. Like you could be white. You could be Arab. You could be black. Like or East. I guess even East Asian because there's a lot of Indian population mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. too. So we don't seem to understand that. Like you know, like she said, she called you. She told you to choose Cana- uh, Caucasian. That's because here they don't think that can- Canadians have people of color. 
Like, we don't think that. So if we see it, we're like, oh, weird. Immigrants go there, too? You know, like, we have no clue. Yeah, and that's uh, that's so crazy. My first day of school in Connecticut, I was in line to walk into the classroom. This girl standing in front of me, this black girl, was like, where are you from? I said, I'm from Canada. She said, I didn't know they had black people up there. And I was like, uh, right. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, so that, that was a weird thing. I'd never had to fill anything like out like that before. And to this day, I've never filled anything out like that here. Um, so they don't do that at all? Not really. I mean, it, like, I remember, like, I know when I've applied to jobs and stuff like that, they'll ask if um, I am um, part of a visible minority or if I'm Native American and I'll put visible minority but it doesn't I don't have to specify what that means oh Uh, yeah oh gosh that would be so much better yeah, <laughs> I was like, uh, <laughs> that would be so much better. Um, and that's for for job applications, you know. I guess because they wanna, they want like a very like representative like pool of applicants or something. Right. So they'll say, you know, well, if you're a visible minority, check here. If you have like a disability, check here, kind of thing to to you know prioritize certain people mm-hmm. or give certain people a chance, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never. That was the first time I've had to fill something like that out, and I just remember at the time thinking like, this is such like an American thing. Because even at that age, I was twelve years old I, I just remember like when I was in the states that I just remember thinking like race matters so much here it does it matters so much like like it was like it, in Canada like I, I was aware that I was different and I wanted to look like the other kids but that, that was it was never like in the states I always felt like it was just like very like so much more present like race matters so much here mm-hmm. that we had to like fill out this stuff for just like this like this 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 company giving like some presentation about I don't know like not doing drugs in school or something like it was just it was very weird yeah it's 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 everywhere here there's not like I can't, uh, even when I filled out the so here in the states when we have grocery stores um, you can get a membership card or, or like a discount card for that particular store mm-hmm. and you you know usually you just need I mean legitimately you just need your phone number or your email address so you can get the coupons or whatever but they do have you fill out even your age race and able bodiness uh, demographic so that they can say like you know 36% of black people use this card you know 60 percent mm-hmm. of white people like it does every single there's not a place there's not a thing that we don't fill out that doesn't have this on there. job applications you know the little membership cards um you know every single thing we fill out has a category like this Mm. and that's crazy and and it's just so inaccurate too because even like to the uh, this is something i talk about at home because my my husband is half arabic and half white but he didn't know he was arabic until he was an adult um you know he didn't know that his father was different than his dad Mm. the man who raised him and and so now if he checks a box he wants to be aware of the fact that he actually has another ethnicity but here in the states middle easterns are inside the category of caucasian still they're under the category of white um, mm-hmm. and uh, here in the states that has happened many times so uh, the chinese and the japanese that were here early on like uh when the chinese were here to do the railroads um, yeah. in the 1800s and and the japanese that came over in the early 1900s they were still c- checking the white box until japan became an enemy of yeah. the united states and now now asian category exists but it didn't exist before that um mm-hmm. it, there was always black and white yeah and now there's other things now there's latin so even now you have to distinguish 
here you have to distinguish if you're Hispanic, not like if you're white, but not of a Hispanic speaking country. Um, yeah. And then and then Latin and then, you know, whatever. But like, let's say you're Afro Latina or let's say that you are mixed race. We didn't have anything we were allowed to check. Now there's a category that says two or more races or declined to state. But yeah. um, but it's it's so problematic, you know, because you can be from so many different places and not actually there's a joke that uh, I've heard on many TV shows, but in particular recently, I was I was watching The American Office because I was just trying to see if I could like it. Um, I, I, I was like way late in the game. Americans loved it, but I hated it. Uh, but there was a thing where the guy says, "Well, what do you call Afri- your African Americans in Canada?" Like they like he asked the person, "Like what do you call your African Americans here?" <laughs> it's like we call, and the person was like, "We call them Canadians." <laughs> like, I think it was The Office. It was something like that. But it was yeah. a, it was a thing of trying to explain like that's how important it is to America that we can't even go to another country and just be like, oh, there's Canadians here. It would be, oh, there's African Americans here, except for they're mm-hmm. Canadian. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, oh, that's so ridiculous. Yeah, um, I, I do remember watching that. I, I, I did like The Office. <laughs> um yeah, it's it's crazy. It's 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 crazy. I I've I never I've never had to fill something out like that when I was a kid, like in school, where they. I mean, I had to fill stuff out, but I've never I never had to fill something out where I had to specify where I'm from. And if it's happened, it's like very like rare. I think maybe like census stuff. You, yeah, I was you gonna to say like, like that, do you but... do a census to distinguish what your country demographics are? Mm-hmm. Does it even we, matter? We do one, but like, I don't think I've ever had to, I don't like, uh, cause I've, I've only been for an, an adult for like a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. But so if, if they ever like called my household, I think it was probably like my parents who filled stuff out for us. Um, I don't even remember doing that only ever like maybe a couple times. And then when I've applied for jobs and they ask if I'm a member of a, of a visible minority and that's it, like never, never anywhere else. But, um, that document, what I, I filled out when I was in Connecticut, that was the first time that I had to do something like that. And it was very confusing. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, and I can um, imagine too, like in your case also, because it's not even just that you're a Canadian that's here in America and you're a kid, but also the, uh, you, you also come from a background of being different in mm-hmm. where you're from. So mm-hmm. you have all this stuff stacked on top of you while you're trying to answer a question that you have no, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you're no preparation for. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I, yeah. And there was, there was no option for other, um, at the time. And I just like, all of them said American at the end. And that was like my biggest thing. I was like, I'm not American not like American, yeah. like I don't like I don't have any like documentation that says I'm American like I'm just like I'm just on a visa here but right. I, I was just like I don't know how to fill this out and even like the whole like African American like to me I feel like for most people I look black or at least, at least like light skin black like you know or like brown or something so even African American didn't feel like something I should fill out because I'm not because I feel like African American is this whole like culture and I'm right. not a part of it you know um, right. right that that's another thing um, the, the separation as you get further like you know black people were spread across the globe for, for mm-hmm. slavery and have gone to populate places where now people like Haitians exist because of the of the the transatlantic slave trade but yeah. they've become their own people now you know there's yeah. been enough generations that now facial features are different um, you mm-hmm. know body structure is different things like that because the population is just mixed in from the people that were there and so it's hard to even trace like once you ha- if you have to trace from Africa through the islands and then up into Canada you've got how many different levels of removal are you before mm-hmm. you you know to claim Africa like I, I had that struggle myself um, because it, when I was in high school like when I when I got into ninth grade so I was 14 mm-hmm. um, 
that's when African-American became a thing. That's when the term started to take hold. Before that, you were just black. And to this day, I will still say I'm black. I don't claim African-American because it makes me, I, I feel it's so inaccurate. You know, it's all based on an entire continent. You know, it's not acknowledging yeah. the diversity of the people that are actually on the continent, e- even amongst the black people that are on the continent. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. to distinguish a, Ken- a Kenyan from a, a Ghanan or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it got to be really popular. And obviously it's still is very popular, but I don't feel that it's a comfortable or accurate thing. And it doesn't account for the people that come from the Caribbean or from that are Afro-Latino that may be or Latino uh, that may be identify more with the Africanness than the than the Latinness. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't allow for a nuance in, in a person's yeah. identity at all. And, you know, and there's honestly, when we say it, we mean descended of slave. Like here in yeah. the States, that's what we mean, mm-hmm. descended of slave. But what if you're an African who moves moved here, you know, what if you're a Nigerian who moved here for college a couple years ago? Yeah. You know, it's a totally different thing. What they want to distinguish in terms of blackness, they are not getting when they make us check a box that says African-American. Yeah. Um, So it is pretty crazy. Uh, Yeah. Gosh, I really like the way you guys do it. I like that concept of the mixed solid. That was something I learned in, uh, I think, like grade 10 social studies or something. Um, So they actually teach you as kids that that is. Yeah. 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 And we and we talk about in America, it's the 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 you know the melting pot, you know. But we're a mixed salad, so and everyone's allowed to be different here, kind of thing. There's um there's always that kind of you know comparison a bit. Really? <laughs> we feel that we do a little, yeah, 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 for sure. It's, it's, uh, that's how narcissistic America is. Is we don't teach ha- what things happened anywhere. Like mm-hmm. we don't know. We don't come out of school knowing about other countries. And the only reason why I felt like I did it all is because mm-hmm. I had foreign grandmothers. Yeah. So I had more of an awareness, or at least a desire to learn about at the minimum the places my grandmothers came from because they actually were part of raising me Um, yeah but beyond that like actually trying to learn a little bit about other countries that that is not something that we're yeah yeah i i do remember like being really shocked when i first moved to the states and telling people i'm from ottawa and you know people did not know what i was talking about Um, and I mean, like, I didn't know what Connecticut was, you know, but I didn't, I, but I had, I know, I knew what Washington DC was. Yeah. I knew, you know, I knew like major cities and stuff. And I was like, well, it's the capital of the country that you, is your biggest like trading partner, guys. Like, I don't, um, you know, we're right next to you. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kids are like, what's trade? <laughs> like, they didn't ask, they did not answer any of those questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do feel that here in Canada, we do do a lot of like comparisons mm. to like the US, like, oh yeah, we have issues here, but at least it's not like in America, you know, meaning. <laughs> we have like our own issues like oh you know Donald Trump is like not cool but at least you know we don't have that here but we just elected this like totally like problematic person as the premier of Ontario but you know um, or you know it's super racist in the states but you know we had like residential schools until 1996 um, and those were like the schools that they had where they you know ripped native children away from their families forced them into those schools and you know erased their culture and they got abused and all this stuff but wait they were um, just doing they were still doing that in 1996 the last residential school closed in Canada in 1996. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, you, we hear a little bit about about the treatment of, of the indigenous population and stuff like that in Canada, but only recently, and only because uh, Trudeau got so popular down here, like everybody, mm-hmm. everybody thinks he's so hot and stuff like that, <laughs> and they, you know, that that's the only reason why Americans are turning an eye towards Canada at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, wow, I'm surprised that that was still happening. Well, I guess I'm not surprised. What am I talking about? I'm not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and you know what, I just learned like this is crazy to me but the i think is it the 13th amendment that um abolishes slavery 
slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the 13th Amendment wasn't like put in the books in Mississippi until 2013. Right. So, um, you know, like, I guess people just, like, kind of ignore stuff until, like, in some places, until, yeah, like, the last well, minute. Like, I don't know. We definitely have some old laws that are still on the books or whatever, and people aren't paying attention. But to find out, when that news broke, to find out that technically it was still pop, kind of legal yeah. in Mississippi. I mean, of all places in the States, it makes a lot of sense that that would be <laughs> one of the places that it would. But right. it was just one of those things where you're just like, we're still alive, even though the last person who would have been a slave has has since died you know that mm-hmm. were removed from that generation to think that we were still kind of touching that generation in a matter of speaking you yeah. know through something like a, a law not being scrubbed from a book or mm-hmm. or whatever is is pretty insane um yeah yeah that's uh, it would i i don't understand why america doesn't teach more about at least canada and mexico since they're the countries mm-hmm. that border us you know like i don't mm-hmm. understand why we don't know more about them um you know i what I know really comes from the fact that I have family in Ontario, uh, mm-hmm. in, po- in Bob Cajun and Toronto. Like that's okay. and that's like my the extent of my knowledge, really, <laughs> besides, you know, and it's and it's really just because I, I had family there. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's it. I, the, and it's not that it's not like it's a lot of knowledge. It's just, you know, I'm just I, I now have an awareness. I at least know the providences and, you know, I know some of the major cities and things mm-hmm. like that. But I don't have in terms of like my education of the worlds. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't do that well here. Anything yeah. that I know, I know because I wanted to know. Yeah. Um, even recently when I found out my fa- we did the DNA the African ancestry DNA test which I'm going to oh, talk sick. about but to be yeah. honest that country wasn't even on my radar in terms of like oh. knowledge of black oh. of, of African slave trade it wasn't even on my radar uh-huh. so then so it opened up the results opened me up to now going oh well what what else like how did these people yeah. get involved they were so far from, removed mm-hmm. like how did this happen so now I have this you know n- now I'm investigating because I'm excited of having this yeah. knowledge but um i would have gone my whole life never thinking about this country one time you know like it would have never mm-hmm. happened because we weren't exposed yeah. we're not exposed yeah. to other places here um mm-hmm. but i guess we are getting close to uh our time oh. um but i yeah, this is the thing is like we, we start so to get excited to uh, we can keep going if you want to keep going we can totally keep yeah, going yeah. um i've had a couple of these conversations mm-hmm. that have lasted up to three hours like it can just happen so if you want to keep going and you have yeah. the time we can keep going because i have yeah. Uh, For sure. Let's keep going then. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.